electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one of my friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you about markets like this. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When all else fails... All else fails. What can I say? We're seeing a wholesale reevaluation of which stocks are still worth owning, and the list seems to get shorter every day, including this one. Dow plunges 654 points. S&P plummets 3.2%. And the NASDAQ, what can I say? Nosedive 4.29%. Let's get into this. Let's figure out what the heck's going on. I'm tired of everybody losing money. Even the beloved oils today. I have to understand this. Even the beloved oils today say, you know what? Anything is vulnerable here. These, this was the last bastion of safety. Now, this is going to sound very counterintuitive. But you know what? I'm going to tell you why you might want to be a contrarian here. See, when they take out the last of the leaders and shoot them, in this case, the oil and gas stocks, that usually means we're much closer to a bottom than the top. This sell-off, people, started in November. I said that to people in the morning meeting at 1020 today for the investment club. Like, people don't even know. It started in November when I warned you to dump the conceptual stocks, the intangible stocks, and circle the wagons around companies with real products, real earnings, real dividends, and real cheap valuations that return capital. Out with the growth at all costs, in with growth at a reasonable price. And that is the denouement of what's happening right now. But what counts as growth at a reasonable price? It's hard. Look at longtime Kramer fave NVIDIA. Now, here's a best to be chip maker that's growing earnings at a 70% plus clip, and its stock now trades at 30 times earnings. That's classic cheap. While NVIDIA is cheap relative to its peers, but how about this? How about if its peers keep falling? So what? I love this company. I wish I could tell you all about how it's a great-term long-term investment. We sold stock a lot higher. How much do I want to buy it back? But I hear too many underperforming money managers making the same argument I just gave you. Reminds me of the dark days of 2000 during the dot-com collapse. People who had made fortunes in the late 90s got crushed. Yet many of them kept doubling down until their investors demanded their money back. I'm very proud that I did a piece in the third week of March for the oldstreet.com that I worked at where I said, you, gotta, you, you have to start selling these. 
And, and I feel that way if you haven't sell, sold them yet. We're going to go over some names that you can still sell. Which brings me to what's really going on behind the scenes here. Right now, we're seeing a lot of what I call forced selling by distressed hedge funds, by mutual funds, and by individuals. And that is often a great buying opportunity. Not instantly, but it works. For example, we bought two very resilient S&P 500 days for the charitable trust today, small positions, because as we explained in our investing club, bullets they've just gotten too cheap to ignore. We'll take some pain. Let me put this in the right context. At the moment, we've got several different groups of sellers. You need to know who they are. The first, well, these are the remaining people who want to hide in certificates of deposits or three-year treasuries. I, I know long-term bonds don't reward you enough, but the three-year, is, it, it, it's almost at 3.3%. That's risk-free. That's a bargain. You get your money back soon, make it much safer than owning a stock with a 3% yield that can simply go much lower. I can't find fault with that group of sellers. They, they've lost so much money. Uh, who can blame them for wanting to park their money in medium-term treasuries? I'll take that piece of paper any day of the week. These people are most likely not coming back, though. They're licking their wounds, and those wounds are too fresh. They're like the people who lost in 2000. Goodbye. But the second group of sellers is different. They're being forced to sell by margin clerks, by their investors. I'm talking about hedge funds that got redemption letters from their investors at the end of April. They're now desperately selling stocks in order to return the money. This group also includes money managers who borrowed money using richly valued growth stocks as collateral. As the ones I told you about, right, the ones that went out in November. As those stocks go down, they need to put up more and more capital. They just don't have it, which forces them to sell anything that isn't nailed down. Because it's not likely they can easily find new investors. Nobody wants to put the money in a poorly performing fund. Go read Confessions of a Street Addict when I had all my problems, it, 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 where there was just mass redemption, so I had to come back. You can, but you got to do it shrinking. We've seen these kinds of forced sales also in the financial crisis and again in 2011. Those are brutal analogies. I think this moment's beginning to look a lot like 2011 when our stock market got crushed by the European financial crisis and it went down 19.9%. The highly leveraged hedge funds became roadkill back then, but you could have cleaned them up if you, you could, you could have cleaned them up, but if you bought what they were selling, but we don't know what they're selling. Third group of sellers, mutual funds and hedge funds that simply can't find a reason to buy a lot of stocks because they've lost so much money. I went over the top 10 losers from the Russell 1000 this weekend. I wouldn't touch any of them, even down tremendously, because they should never have been where they were to begin with. Nearly 80% of the Russell 1000 is down for the year. 43% of the components down 20% or more. Don't even get me started on the heinous action the CMC posts back index. You should look at this stuff. There's 147 components. 136 of them are down. That's extraordinary. Then just today, we saw horrendous losses in the NASDAQ 100. Listen to this bottom 10 rogues gallery. Mercado Libra down 16%. Octo up 13%. Splunk down 12%. CrowdStrike slumps 12%. Airbnb, if traffic are down 12%. How about the pound here? Down 21%. Or after the close, GoodRx and Upstart. I told you to avoid these. Typically, it's GoodRx. It's down 36%. And, and Upstart's down 42%. And they made the numbers. It was soft forecast. That's just a small percentage of the carnage out here. DraftKings down another 16% on top of last week's dive. And they, they had a good outlook. Very reminiscent of the dot-com collapse when stocks would fall from high levels and we realized there was no floor. You can't speculate in these duly public companies, people. Many of them came public with the goal of selling more stock down the road in order to raise capital. But with the market so low, they'll never get their chance. One of the few former high flyers that was able to raise money before the window closed, Carvana, is a disaster. They sold 15.6 million shares at $80. That was three weeks ago. Now it's at 38. The CEO and his father bought roughly a third of the deal, and they're being crushed. But when you add up all the money Carvana raised, the company should be able to survive even in the face of a newly difficult used car market. Used cars are plummeting. Still, this was a $300 stock in November when the rules changed. At 300 goes to 38. Bonds getting crushed. Credit worries are back. I'm not trying to be matter of fact about it. Carvana itself was more or less a forced seller. 
This weekend, insiders sold shares in Rivian, the electric truck uh, play that peaked at the 170s list of ever. They dropped to 30. The insiders just sold a block of 22 million shares at $26.90. Special weekend closing. You got it on Sunday morning. I've never seen that. That includes Ford, by the way, which dumped 8 million shares to raise some money for electric initiatives. Good call. Today, Rivian lost 20% of its value. It went down to 22 and changed. This is one of the premier electric vehicle stocks with 10 orders from Amazon for pretty much whatever they could make. But nowadays, nobody cares about theoretical orders. Rivian delivered just 1,227 vehicles in the first quarter. Not enough to do the job. Forced selling by companies or by their shareholders doesn't come to an easy end. But I think you've got to view this as a blessing, not a curse, if you have cash. These forced sellers put pressure on the whole market, so you can take advantage of them to get some terrific bargains. You know, my old mentor, David Tepper, really one of the best hedge fund managers ever, always talks to me about how you can get to your preferred levels much faster, thanks to these sellers, because they are creating great values. He reminded me of that just today. Which leads me to the last group of four sellers, individuals, hopefully not you, who bought highly speculative assets that have plummeted beyond all recognition so they had no choice to sell. They spent the money that the government gave them. When their stocks got crushed, they threw in the towel. These people are your real enemy if you want to buy these high-concept stocks. I said you had to sell back in November without buybacks or mergers, and I don't see any. These beaten-down stocks are continual roadkill, with any sign of even a state trooper pulling the carcass off the highway. By the way, these same speculators are now vicious sellers of all things crypto. So that's right in there with the rest of them. Crypto's become kryptonite. And the companies that bought it on margin are being destroyed right now. You can't touch them either. So why even bother stick around? I'm not advocating staying in the market so much as I want you to take some losses and swap into better stocks that can spring back because their losses are just collateral damage. Good balance sheets, all the ones I tell you, you know, that they can make things, send you back money. I think that, that you're going to get a chance to buy them right now if you sell some bad to fund the good, bottom line. I say you put some cash to work now on the tangible growth at a reasonable price stocks like we did today for the investing club. As for the former high flyers, if you still own them, I recommend selling them on a snapback and upgrading your portfolio into something that works in this difficult moment. I am sure that's how you and I will come out okay. So we can live to play again in better times. That's all we can ask for. All's well that ends. Eric in Tennessee. Eric. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, sure. What's going on? Not much. Eric calling from Clinton, Tennessee, just outside beautiful Knoxville. Beautiful is right. I've been there. I love it. Thank you. My my, uh, question for you is regarding the stock United Rentals, ticker URI. I currently own a position and was considering adding to it. With a P.E. of a little over 13, a price of sales of 2, and a price to book of 3.4, it looks fairly attractive. However, the stock has been in a sideways trading pattern since early December, and it's getting closer to hitting its 52-week low. Should I buy, hold, or sell, in your opinion? I still think it's too high. I mean, I've spent a lot of time analyzing XPO logistics for a guest later today. And there I can tell you, with no uncertain terms, that's a much cheaper stock than you or I. And I know that Brad Jacobs, the CEO, knows both companies well. I prefer to see you in that than this one. All right, let's go to Vincent, New York. Vincent. Hey, Jim. I'd like to talk about Costco. The stock peaked at $612 per share. Two questions. What needs to be done or happen for the board of directors to split the stock? Today, Costco is down to $498.83 per share with an annual dividend rate of $3.60 per share. On the other hand, Home Depot closed today 
at $297.03 with an annual dividend rate of $7.60 per share. Right. Should I move my money out of Costco and buy Home Depot? No, I happen to like Home Depot very much. I like Lowe's, too. But, you know, Costco has been one of the biggest winners we've ever had for a charitable trust. And I've got to tell you, I'm not backing away from it. I actually talked with Jeff Marks today about how it's come down so much. You might want to buy it. They have the power to do a special dividend. They're not as much interested in the stock as a split as they are just making a lot of money for you. That's a great company. I'd be a buyer of it. But in stages, because these very high dollar stocks are being hit very hard by people who are panicked. And we don't want to take the panickers out of their prices. We want to wait till they're done and then we buy. All right. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say it again. Just like I said, November, December, January, February, March, April, now May. I want you to put cash to work in tangible growth at a reasonable price stocks. We've emphasized this over and over again. As for the former high flyers, I recommend selling them on a snapback move and swapping to something more appropriate for you and for this market. Well, maybe tonight, you want appropriate? How about AEP? I know, boring utility, but what a year. Then after hitting a 52-week low, can investors start nibbling on Papa John's, a very reasonably priced asset? And I'm learning more from the company's top brands. Oh, yes, and of course, XBO Logistics, I mentioned that instead of URI, has a new focus as the world continues to emerge from COVID-19. I'm hearing about the company's plans from a proven money-making CEO. I'm urging you to stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. In a brutal market, and I'm, I'm being nice by calling it brutal, where everyone's bracing for a Fed-mandated recession or whatever the heck is going on. You know what works? Consistent businesses with good dividends like the utilities. I always tell you this. Take Kramer Fave American Electric Power, which I just back every single time someone calls on Lightning Round. This is the Columbus-based company that is the nation's number one electricity transmission system and some big power generation assets, including lots of wind and solar. AP jumped nearly 1% today. It's up 12% from the year during this period where the S&P is now down more than 16%, as I said at the top of the show. Plus, Mark Electric Power reported a nice earnings beat two weeks ago. And while the stock initially bounced the news, it's since pulled back along the rest of the market to the point where I think you're getting that fantastic quarter for free where they raise guidance. It doesn't hurt that the stock supports a 3.1% dividend yield. I think you're getting a pretty nice buying opportunity here. But please don't take it from me. Let's check it up in Dick Akins. He's a longtime chairman and CEO of Mark Electric Power. You had a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Man Money. Hey, great to be with you again, Jim. Well, Nick, you're a sight for sore eyes. You've done everything that you said you would do and more. And what I want to reintroduce to the younger people, uh, because they might not realize it, but here's an old-fashioned transmission company that is building the largest windmill facility in the country. 
And I think you should yep. just tell that story because a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to be with those guys. They have coal. If anything, you're the leader of wind in this country. Yeah, I think a huge part of it is the transition that's occurring toward a clean energy economy in this nation. And we're moving from fossil generation to renewables. And certainly when you add that kind of renewables, it's the largest uh, single site uh, facility in North America. And it completes our North Central project. That's what we call it. And it's providing over $3 billion of savings to customers in that area for the next 30 years. So it's a great, uh, great opportunity. And when you put these resources together in that fashion, it works out great for customers. I think people need to know, Nick, Sun, Sundance, Maverick, and Traverse together, right. can be, they can be pretty amazing for a lot of homes, right? This is not a small project. Oh, that's right. It, it'll supply 440,000 homes. I mean, it's a, it's a huge project. So uh, for that to occur, and that matter of fact, that's about 1,500 megawatts of generation. Uh, we still have another, we're, we're doing over 16,000 megawatts by 2030. So uh, it's just a small part of what's yet to come. Now, it's definitely needed. There was an article this weekend I read that there are a lot of different power companies that are going to be short power, including Texas. You're in Texas, but that's not the case for you. You have built a reliable network that no one is ever questioning is going to be overpowered by demand. Yeah, I think the issue is we really need to think about the capacity that's needed to provide demand for customers when they need it. And that's one of the things we have to balance out is bringing in the renewables, but also ensuring that we have that 24-7 supply to make sure that we're addressing customers' needs in the heat of the summer or the cold of winter. So that process will continue for us. And certainly with the Ukraine situation and what's happened with energy policy as it relates to that, we really need to be mindful of that transition. I'm glad you said that because there's an element that seemed thoughtful at the time, what Germany was doing to try to become far more uh, organic in their, in their, in, and non-carbon. But it ended up being more dependent on carbon than anyone in the world. And they could be in a depression if, if, if Gazprom shuts down for them. We can never allow ourselves to be in that kind of situation. Yeah, that's right. That's why we have a balanced portfolio that includes everything, because when you have these kinds of situations, it's important for us to continue that movement to a clean energy economy, but at the same time address that transition in a way that mitigates the impacts to to our customers. And actually, nations are seeing that as they have to deal with the the geopolitical issues related to Russia. There's no question that this whole world's going to have to respond. At the, main, at the same time, rather amazingly, you build a network that can handle the incredible remote from work demand. That, you know, this idea that you no longer go to the central office turned out to need a lot of power. Oh, absolutely. And we're seeing considerable growth. We continue to see it. Matter of fact, our industrials moved up uh, almost 6%. Uh, this last quarter. And it really is, when you look at the economic development uh, platform that exists, you're seeing onshoring occur. You're seeing more resilient supplies. Uh, We actually have the Intel facility that's locating in our territory as well from a chip manufacturing standpoint. So you see these kinds of movements occurring that benefits uh, these parts of the country that provide a lot of manufacturing support through the infrastructure that we provide. Well, I was talking with Gina Gilgan, executive producer, before, and she she said, we got to talk about how somehow Ohio became sexy. That the the (laughs) companies that that, a lot of these companies from the Silicon Valley area definitely want to get their footprint lowered. And the way to lower the footprint is to go into AEP's territory. That's actually happening, isn't it? 
Yeah, we see that consistently. Matter of fact, it's throughout our territories, primarily in Ohio and Texas, but other parts of our territory as well, because it is energy intensive and it also has the infrastructure to be able to support those kinds of facilities. So it's, it's really boding well for our territory. Now, you're still not back. There's some levels that we are still below. I mean, chemicals doing very well, but primary metals are still below um, pandemic level. Is that going to change, you think? Yeah, that'll change. I mean, actually, primary metals continue to pick up this last quarter uh, considerably along with chemical manufacturing and, and others. So uh, in data centers and the commercial side, data centers moved up considerably. So you're seeing that kind of development uh, across the board. So that'll continue to occur. Well, that's very important, obviously, because what we need is more capacity in order to be able to defeat the inflationary aspects of, of having everything be overrun. And again, I thought that one of the more cheering things I read on the AP call was that America is starting to build a little more capacity. So maybe we won't get stuck with inflation forever. Oh, that's right. I'm, and commercial activity is actually ahead of pre-pandemic right. levels. And industrial is only like 1% less than pre-pandemic levels. But you look at the economic development pipeline, it's continuing to come back. And then residential uh, is still uh, above like 0.8%. Right. But you think about that kind of level is that people are continuing to work from home well, uh, look, in a certain uh, aspect. You're doing a terrific job. And it, look, the reason why your stock goes up is because you just keep delivering and delivering. And I'm really pr- proud that we've told so many people this is the one to be in because you've been the best, Nick. You actually have been. That's Nick Eggers, President, Chairman, CEO of American Electric Power, Thank AP. Thank you, Nick, for coming on the show as always. Yeah, sure thing, Jim. Right. Thanks a lot. There are ways to make money that don't require you to be able to invest in EVs that may or may not work or biotech that may or may not work. This is what we like. Man Bunny's back after the break. Coming up, is this stock ready to make your dough rise? Papa John's joins Kramer to talk earnings. Mad Money with extra cheese next. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching 
engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Not long ago, the pizza chains were some of the best stocks in this market. These days are now over. Now that people feel safe going out to eat again, they're less likely to order delivery, which means the pizza makers are up against tough year-over-year comparisons. At the same time, they're dealing with skyrocketing food costs and a labor shortage. But with the pizza stocks down dramatically from their highs from last year, at what point is the bad news already baked in? That's what I'm trying to figure out about so many different different companies, which is why I'm so glad to have Papa John's on. Last Thursday morning, these guys reported a solid quarter, not a blow-up by any means, but much more like better than I thought it was going to be. At the same time, Papa John's raised its unit growth forecast. They're planning to add 6 to 8% more stores per year for years to come. If you, didn't have, if you didn't have demand, you wouldn't do that. You don't expand unless you're feeling bullish. Yet the stock's been hammered along with the rest of the market, falling to a 14-month low today. So could this be a buying opportunity? Let's dig deeper with Rob Lynch, the president and CEO of Papa John's International, to get a better read of the situation. Mr. Lynch, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Great to be here. Well, I'm glad you're on, Rob, because, you know, you, you by your own admission, your conference call said, look, this is the toughest, the most difficult operating environment I've ever seen. And yet you really honestly didn't miss a beat, Rob. I mean, how is that possible? Our business is hitting on all cylinders. We've got great comp sales over our biggest quarter in Q1 last year. We are up 26% this year. We, we delivered positive returns, uh, 10 straight quarters of industry outperformance, and it's really all a testament to the great work our teams are doing. As I mentioned, these, uh, this operating environment is a challenge from a staffing standpoint, from a cost standpoint, from a supply chain standpoint, but our teams have persevered, and we've uh, been able to deliver some great results. You have also been as forthcoming as I've seen many CEOs. You said on the call that April's already, yeah, April was a challenging month that things are not getting necessarily better. Well, actually, April was a, was, was a challenging month, but our staffing situation has gotten progressively better. Um, we're starting to, to get drivers to come in and, and take the orders. You know, we've had, regardless of what the comps are, our demand is still huge. And, you know, it's been a challenge servicing those those orders. And, you know, we've partnered with the aggregators. We've got great integrated partnerships with DoorDash and Grubhub and Uber Eats. And that's really helped us mitigate some of the challenges of being short staffed. But we're starting to see staffing improve. Um, We believe that there is light at the end of the tunnel on the commodities front. We do see a cost structure later in the year that is that that can help our margins. So um, we are bullish on the rest of the year while we guided both for 2022 uh, to have positive comps and for the long term, We've got a great pipeline of, of uh, development where we think we can continue to grow domestically and internationally because the union economics at our restaurants are great right now. Now, you want to add all these restaurants in, in China. Uh, does China really have that kind of appetite for what you want to have planned there? Absolutely. We already have 250 restaurants in China. We've been there for quite some time, but we're very underdeveloped relative to our peers uh, who have you know many more restaurants. Fountain Vest, our new partner there, is a great 
franchisee. They're well capitalized. They've got a lot of operating experience in that market. And so we're excited to grow with them. And I'd, I'd make note that um, that 1,350 unit deal is just for South China. We oh, actually I believe agree. we can put many more restaurants in, in, in North China. So it's, it's actually going to be a bigger opportunity for us than even that. What I try to tell people is, listen, they're not going to be locked down forever there. And you want to get the guy who's going to expand the most. And just Papa John's. There was one moment that took my breath away. This, your CFO, who's so good, said uh, that the, there's going to be a 12 to 14 percent rise in, in the food basket. Come on, 1.4 to 1.6 would have been a huge rise. I mean, this is an extraordinary thing to make it so you can still feed a family of four with a $7 pizza. That is a remarkable achievement. Yeah, it, you know, we haven't seen this level of food inflation in about 40 years. Oh. Just to contextualize the, the, the rate of change that we're seeing. That being said, We've, we've really balanced productivity and pricing to be able to mitigate some of that inflation and try to keep our margins um, relatively where we anticipated they would be. But we're taking a long-term view here. You know, we are continuing to bring new customers in, and we want to keep those customers that we fought so hard over the last two and a half years to gain. So um, we're not taking as much pricing potentially as as we need to to cover the whole cost because we want to make sure that when we come through these challenging times and we return to a more normalized rate uh, of cost, we'll have those customers there with us. And then it'll actually be margin accretive and we'll have kept those customers. Well, let's, let's follow up on that. I think there are a lot of people who are selling your stock because somehow they feel like people were locked up, they ordered pizza, and now that people are going out again, they're not ordering pizza. Your numbers do not show that. They simply do not show that repudiation. You're not a pandemic play. Uh, Jim, what I can tell you is throughout the pandemic, we gain share by bringing in new customers that we took from other yes. segments in the industry. Yes, you did. Frequency did not go up. This idea that, that people were ordering pizza to a much larger extent than they had in the past, just not the case. We just brought in a lot of customers from other segments. So we feel great about our ability to keep those customers. Last uh, two weeks ago, we launched Epic Pepperoni Stuffed Crust. And that week prior to the launch, we had uh, an exclusive opportunity for our loyalty members to come in and order it. We added 150,000 new loyalty members in that one week. So people are still buying pizza. People are still coming to Papa John's. That's why we've been bullish and we're, we're guiding positive for the rest of the well, year. When I read your loyalty, you have like 20, what, almost 25 million members now in your loyalty group? Yeah. That's and we have all You're of top that, five loyalty, all, aren't you? Absolutely. And we have all of that data which we are now leveraging to be much more surgical in how we are able to deliver value to our customers. And in an, in an environment of, of inflation where we're seeing you know, significant consumer sentiment declines, that ability to target our customers and make sure that we're surgically targeting them with discounts versus broad scale discounts really helps us uh, sustain that P&L. And I do want to make one last point. We have, have some of your new pizzas here. I was going on with my wife. We were saying innovation doesn't happen in pizza. I said, wait, wait a second. I know you don't get the Uno deep dish that you love when you're growing up, but you guys are you guys are inventive and you're innovative. And these pizzas take off, don't they? It's it's a testament to the creativity of our culture here at Papa John's. You know, uh, the last three years, our our teams have found ways to to evolve in an ever changing dynamic environment, and our you know, innovation on the food side is a representation of that. This this epic pepperoni stuffed crust is probably the best product we've ever launched. 
you know, I hope you have some there in, in the studio. And when you when you take a bite into that crust, I don't know if you grew up eating pepperoni rolls like some sure. of us did, but it's it's like a whole additional thing to experience when you're eating that pizza. But you're so, not adding, uh, I mean, you're yeah, sticking these, by your truth of the word, not adding 100 ingredients that we don't know about in your pizzas. That's what I love about it. It's still the same old, same yeah. old, right? Well, our innovation has always been grounded in three core pl- principles, right? The customers have to want it. It can't mess up our operations at the restaurant and it can't mess up our supply chain. And, you know, we have stayed true to that and we have focused on that through some really challenging times. And Epic Pepperoni is a testament to our ability to leverage everything that's already in the restaurant and make it even more special. It matters. Well, look, Rob Lynch, President CEO of Papa John's, to me, you are not a pandemic play. You're a growth play. You are taking share. You've out-innovated the rest of your group. And I want to congratulate you on all the big turns that you've made. Great job, sir. Fantastic work. Thank you, Jim. Thank you so much. Uh, Guys, if you think we're going into recession, don't you want someone who makes a dinner for a family of four for seven bucks? If that's the way you want to go, this works for that. To me, I like growth. It's got that, too. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer gets logistical with a stock that could take your portfolio through that last mile to profits. Keep on trucking. Next. happening to this market, you're about to hear about a story that is so absurdly cheap, and it doesn't matter. How much can great earnings matter when your stock is going out of style in the Wall Street fashion show? I'm talking about a terrific company, XPO Logistics. We've been on it since it came public. The freight transportation company that's in the process of breaking itself up because management feels it's not getting enough credit from the stock market. We just had GXO, their, their uh, tremendous logistics business, on last week. It's fantastic. In March, we learned XPO plans to sell its intermodal operations and its European business, then break the remaining company into two separate entities, a truck brokerage outlet and a North American less than truckload transportation unit. We typically love these breakup stocks. It's it was fantastic. But right now, the market's terrified of a weakening freight market, so the stock has been clubbed. Tonight, though, XPO reported my Gibson quarter with better than expected results for every major line item. On top of that, management raised their full-year forecast. Going by the new guidance, the stock now sells for just nine times earnings. And you've got a major catalyst in the rise in the form of this impending breakup. Is that enough to get the market excited about a freight stock when the Fed is hitting the brakes in the economy? Let's take a closer look with Brad Jacobs. He's the chairman and CEO of XPL Logistics, a true moneymaker. Find out more about the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Jacobs, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to see you, Jim. Brad, I have to tell you, it is um, rather shattering to see your company sell for nine times earnings with a breakup coming, a massive discount to the market, and, of course, to your peers. So, can you try to explain, I know you're taking this action, you don't need to do it, but obviously you think it's time. Well, first of all, it's great to be back on the show. Always, always love coming here. You're, you're absolutely right. The first quarter we smashed it. We had beats on revenue. We had beats on EBITDA, EPS, free cash flow. We had the highest revenue ever in the company. We had the highest first quarter EBITDA. We had the highest first quarter EPS. We delevered the balance sheet from 2.7 to 2.0. We're happy to keep delevering. And we raised EPS guidance the year by 26%. So really, really great quarter. And the spin will accomplish two things. It'll make us make two companies, and they'll both be more focused and fit for purpose. And investors will be able to value them correctly. And as you said in the introduction, 
I don't think we'll be trading at six times EBITDA and nine times earnings for, for a very long period of time. Well, you know, Brad, when you first put the company together, I loved Europe, the logistics best in show. Uh, obviously, uh, the LTL market, the lesson truck load is just you dominated and that turned out to be vital for e-commerce. But I guess what Wall Street didn't get that this was a great value creator and they just had to silo your different businesses. I don't know. I'm not complaining. For the last decade, we were the seventh best performing stock of the Fortune 500. So I'm not complaining. It was pretty good. (laughs) However, I do think that we're not going to trade at six times EBITDA and nine times earnings for a long period of time. It's certainly not after the spin. So after the spin, in my opinion, you're going to have a much larger universe of investors who want to invest in only an LTL asset-based company that's leveraged the industrial economy, or they want to invest in a tech-enabled brokerage services business that's growing at three times what the market's growing at. And and today, you don't have a natural universe of investors who want to invest in an LTL company and a truck brokerage company and a European transportation company. So I think we'll solve that. Now, when I look at this this business that you're spinning, which has got the, the truck brokerage, I mean, you know, Uber's got this business. They have Uber Freight. This seems to be a far superior company. In the sense, it's being used right now by real companies to be able to figure out how to move freight around. It's actually the antidote to higher freight costs, isn't it? Well, that's what we do. We, we're growing because of an outsourcing trend from shippers who raised the white flag during COVID and said, you handle this. And, right. and it's not just us. It's our competitors, too, are taking share through the outsourcing trend. But we're taking share much, much faster than the market. We've been outperforming the market quarter after quarter, year after year. You look at the first quarter we just had, volume up 23% in truck brokers, revenue up 38%. This is the sixth consecutive quarter. We had volume growth more than 20%. So so we have first mover advantage for technology in that business. Mario Harik and I started the whole concept of a digital freight marketplace. When I hired Mario in 2011, and that evolved into XPO Connect, and XPO Connect is when we inter- interact with our customers electronically, digitally. In the first quarter, 74%, nearly three quarters of our loads were either sourced or covered electronically. And here in April and May, that's gone even higher. Well, let me ask you, Brad, because you figured this, a lot of this out. Are we still going to hear about uh, supply chain issues over and over again? Or are people going to realize that there are outfits that have figured it out? You just have to go with them. Well, it depends where you are in the supply chain. I mean, for us, disruptions are actually a good thing because our, our services value that more. But from the economy as a whole, it's going to take a while, Jim, before these supply chain disruptions are normalized. I, I just saw uh, Pat Gelsinger, from the CEO of Intel, last week saying that he thinks the chip the shortage is going to go on to 2024. So you, you got a labor shortage. It's a little less severe than it's been recently. We've seen job app- applications go up. But it's still tough to get to get jobs, to get workers. And you've got part shortages and you've got material shortages. You've got a chip shortage. So these things are going to take a while to work out. It's not going to happen overnight. But you have you're expanding your fleet by buying more tractors. You're doubling production at your in-house trailer manufacturing facility. I mean, you're doing everything you can to try to solve this. We are doubling down and growing capacity in the first phase, in the first six years that we owned LTL, done an LTL business starting in 2015. We really weren't trying to grow the top line. We weren't trying to take market share. We're trying to sweat the assets and 
run the business for significant cash. And that we did. We generated over $3 billion of net cash in phase one of LTL. Now in phase two, we're buying tractors. We're producing more trailers in Arkansas. We're adding doors. We're adding more capacity to our cross dock facilities. We're doubling the capacity of our driver schools. So we're really going to grow the top line over the next several years. We're investing in long-term growth of that business. At the same time, we're going to grow margins. Well, one last question. Do you think the people out there are listening and saying, oh, my God, going into recession, this guy's coming on and he's talking about expanding? But isn't it the truth that you know, where you're making so much money doing this it, and the economy is a little bit stronger than people realize they need XPO logistics to grow? You know, recession, recession. I mean, right. we have a return on capital in our business that's in the 38 percent range for the whole company. And our LTL business, where we're investing more, we're going to invest more. Our return on capital is even higher. So it's it's fine to invest in that business, regardless of what's going on in the economy. Well, I remember when you bought it in Europe went during the height of the European debt crisis and it turned out to be a genius move. So it's not like your timing can ever be questioned. Brad Jacobs, Chairman CEO of XPO Logistics, a continual moneymaker who's kept every single promise since he started coming on the show a decade ago. Brad, thank you. Great to see you in person. Thank you. I like that moneymaker, Jim. That's a good sign. Well, you deserve it, man. You deserve it. Anyway, uh, Thank you, man, Mike, but th- this is the kind of situation we're looking for. A self-help situation, just like the GXO, where money will be made. Man, money's back after the break. No need for a meteorologist. Today's forecast calls for thunder and lightning. The lightning round is next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski deck. Tell the lawyer, kids, let's start with Chuck in Indiana. Chuck. Booyah, Jim. First Booyah. time, long time. Excellent. I'd like your opinion on a stock that has it's spinning off one of its units into a SPAC. And it's a unit I like. It's called Ligon Pharmaceutical, LGNB. You know, that thing can run, but it can't hide. It's 28 times earnings. We really don't need something like that. We've got a lot of great pharmaceuticals that are down much lower than that, including J&J. How about yeah. we go to Stuart in Yeah, Jim, New York. how you doing? All how right, you Stuart, how are you? Days? What's up? Uh, the oil patch. Uh, with this energy crisis, I'm looking at Golar, G-O-L-A-R. I'll see your Golar and raise you with one that we recently profiled that I think is excellent called Accelerate Energy, symbol EE, LNG Terminal Services. It's really good. One of the few public companies that I would actually recommend, public companies that just came public. Let's go to Randall, North Carolina. Randall. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Randall. Thank you for years and appreciate and want to thank you for what you do for the retail investors. Yes, you thank you. Go in that mentions column and go in with all those other nice people who say all such nice things. What's up? Jimmy Chill. I like your financial analysis uh, contrasting the best of class in numerous genres. My question concerns stock Santander. Oh, you know, Santander, look, I think Anna Boutine is absolutely terrific. The quarter was not that great, and the problem is the credit worries over in Europe. Do you know that Italy's debt is now 150% of its GDP, even at the height of the 2011 crisis, it was only 120%. So we got to be very careful about Europe, and that's why that's going down, because our rest of their businesses are doing well. Dennis in Pennsylvania, Dennis. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I love your enthusiasm, even in these darkest of times. Well, you know what? I come to play, as I have every day since 79. It's what I do. Let's go to work. My 
My question for you is about New York Community Bank Corp. Symbol NYCB. Yeah, it, yield, it worries that yield worries me. I mean, it's just too high. You shouldn't be able to get that kind of yield. I'm going to have to say I'm going to pull in my horns or something like that because even though I know it's an okay bank, it, that yield is way too big. It, it, it gives me the uh, the willies. How about that? Let's go to Sue in Florida. Sue. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Jim. Which one? Uh. Equitrans Midstream. Oh, geez, that's a good company. That is a very good company, and they have the funding, and they do all sorts. They do natural gas transmission, which is a business I absolutely love because you don't have enough natural gas pipes. I'm going to throw in that Semper again from last week that's so good. How about Andy in Kansas? Andy. Hey, Jim. Thank you. Longtime listener. I've got a stock that's acting a little bit contrarian to what I think the rest of the sector is, and I'm somewhat hesitant to talk to you about it, but uh, it's an American-Taiwanese semiconductor. Okay. Silicon motion technology. Well, they got a bid um, from Max Linear. I think that, you know, I'm not an arbitrage juror. I have to say, congratulations. That was very, very good. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I got a bone to pick with a lot of people. We got to stop blaming the Fed for waiting too long to flight inflation. Listen to me. So many things happened. They changed it once. Decades-old patterns got thrown out. The whole country was upended. How the heck was the Federal Reserve supposed to see all this coming? They don't have that much vision. Listen, I hated having to come out against Jay Powell when during the press meeting last week, he limited himself to 50 basis point rate hikes. Wrong. That was wrong to do. First, there was no need to tie your own hands. And second, he'll most likely have to break his ill-advised pledge if he really truly wants to tamp down inflation. He has to move now to shock the system, and by now I mean as soon as humanly possible. When I was reading over the Papa John's conference call in preparation for today's show, I was struck by the absurdity of what happened just in the first quarter of this year alone. Because of Omicron, there were more people sheltering in place once again at the very beginning of the year. The incredibly contagious variant of this, nature of this variant led to a major labor shortage that shattered gross margins, at least for the companies that didn't see it coming, which was most of them. With very few drivers left, third-party players taking up the role, it cost a fortune. Then February comes and actually suddenly things look like they're going back to normal, so you go full speed ahead. But in March, China locks down. Russia invades Ukraine. It caused a massive shortage of both fossil fuels and grains. Suddenly, cheap manufacturing supply chains get stretched. Prices once again get bid up. Gasoline goes higher. Uh, food soars. Keep in mind, food was already very expensive to uh, begin with because of weather issues. COVID labor shortage, higher freight costs. I could go on and on. On top of all this, you've got layer of the, a layer of the permanent nature of the work-from-home economy happening like this, as hundreds of thousands of companies are now willing to let workers decide that they only need to show up in person when they want to. No wonder every plan made in 2020 and 2021 has proven to be worthless for 2022, but we're only criticizing the Fed's plan. When this much changes at once, it's not going to lead to less inflation. People keep blaming the Fed for its easy money policies, but I think that fundamentally misjudges the situation. The shortages are a supply-side problem. They were inevitable. Meanwhile, you could argue that our economy would have collapsed without all the stimulus. Did money stay too cheap too long? Sure, even Jay knows that. But how could he have known that Omicron would be less dangerous than its predecessors when he kind of didn't put the brakes on in November? The Chinese government's treating it like it's more dangerous. And they actually could fall into a recession thanks to their lockdown policy, and they're supposed to be such visionaries. 
I don't know why more people don't get it. If the Fed had been tight, tight-fisted earlier in the pandemic, a recession would have happened definitely. Worst case scenario, we get a bout of inflation like we have now. The good news is that the American consumer is in the best shape I can remember, meaning we can handle a recession. American companies are in terrific shape, too. Their balance sheets are fantastic, at least the real ones that actually turn a profit. Prices can and will be rolled back by the Costco's of the world, but Powell needs to tighten fast. Lest more companies feel the need to raise prices the way Clorox just said when they were on our show last week. They're going to put through the third price hike in July. I just want the blame game to end. It gets nowhere. It's not constructive. Inflation will not burn itself out on its own. There must be pain. But let the pain come from making it too expensive to buy expensive things. That's our best hope. Pound needs to act quickly before all the savings get eaten up and the commerce slows to the level that will breed serious layoffs. I've always admired APAL's gradual data-driven approach. But there are moments where time is of the essence, and this is one of them. It's like having a tooth pulled. You want to get the pain over with as fast as possible. I'd much rather have the Fed raise interest rates by 100 basis points tomorrow than hit us with two slower 50 basis hikes over the next couple of months because inflation has never gone away by itself. It needs to be killed off and killed now. I like to say this always a bull market summary. I'm trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 